They chased it to an airstrip in the valley. There was a wreck on the runway. The X-3 was destroyed. Well, better lost than in the wrong hands. How soon can you rebuild it? Rebuild it? Not a chance. My people in Washington will have something to say about that. Your people in Washington want to turn anything that flies into a weapon. Apparently, someone else had the same idea. Sir, I'm afraid we must insist. I'll remind you, boys, that I don't work for the government. I cooperate at my discretion. Two of my best pilots were killed during the test phase. God knows how many more men would have died if it had flown. No, gentlemen. I'm sorry I ever dreamed the damn thing up. Sir, I wish you would reconsider. What do we tell the president? Tell him the dream is over. Tell him Howard Hughes said so. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. We are looking at the 1991 Rocketeer for this time around. Uh, the Rocketeer, based on the kind of short-lived comic book series, um, this was a Walt Disney-produced film. Uh, very Indiana Jones in its vibe, both in the comics and in the film, and we can talk more about that as we go along. And it uh, did not do particularly well. It is a movie that has, certainly has like a cult following to this day, and a lot of people are fans of it, and fans of just the Rocketeer character in general, you know, are, are big fans of this film, of the comics, and want to see more done with the Rocketeer. And we certainly have some members on the panel that uh, fit that description. So a little bit of background here. We have, uh, it was directed by Joe Johnston. Joe Johnston is a fairly famous director, uh, you know, kind of amongst uh, the geek crew. Uh, a lot of people know his work. He, before being a director, I believe he was involved in like second unit and special effects work. He worked on some of the Star Wars films. And I know he did other ones, but I didn't dig into it. Um, but his directing credits, he's probably most famous for directing the original Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. He directed Jumanji, he directed, unfortunately, Jurassic Park 3, and then he directed Captain America, The First Avenger, which is the, uh, he basically got that job because of the Rocketeer, or the Rocketeer was a, you know, considerable reason that led him to getting that job, because the Captain America, The First Avenger is set during World War II, the Rocketeer is set in the few years leading up to World War II, I believe it's, this one is, the movie set in 1938, so he had that very, you know, throwback Indiana Jones type vibe, and Steven Spielberg probably wasn't answering Marvel's calls at the time or something, and so like, ah, oh, Joe Johnston, he can do it, uh, he did The Rocketeer. So, the, uh, the Rocketeer is based on the comic by Dave Stevens. Dave Stevens, uh, was an artist who, um, aside from The Rocketeer, did a lot of, like, kind of, uh, I don't know, like, um, cheesecake photograph uh that would be like kind of the old-timey term for like you know sexy ladies betty page type shit but then he did artistic you know like drawings of that um so i don't know if it, they went into like men's magazines or what exactly where it was used but uh but he did a lot of that on the side um but he was also a storyboard artist um and he was the storyboard artist for raiders of the lost ark which was 1981 when that film debuted, and he would have been working as a storyboard artist probably in like 79 or 80. 
And then he created the Rocketeer in 1982. So probably a total coincidence, right? Uh, that he goes from uh, working on a, a movie set in 1936 about a swashbuckling archaeologist fighting Nazis to then working on a comic about a swashbuckling rocket man who uh, would likely have fought Nazis in the comics if, uh, if they ever got to that point. But, uh, but he does fight them in the movie. Uh, he also storyboarded the um, famous video music video for Thriller. So he storyboarded mm -hmm. that, uh, which I saw that. I was like, oh, holy shit. And he also worked on, like, I think he did storyboards on various Hanna-Barbera cartoons and Super Friends. So he had uh, a fairly notable career, but he never got uh, super big. And the Rocketeer stuff, unfortunately, there's only, like, two full runs of his original comics. He did, like, two full story arcs, and this was over the course of years. And I read, uh, part of it, I think, is he was sort of just like a perfectionist and he wanted the art to be perfect. And also he would like research heavily the era to make sure things worked right and made sense and to pull in references within the, the story. And then I think that I'm guessing the comics didn't sell like gangbusters, unfortunately, but yeah, so he only did two full runs and then eventually he got leukemia and over time he, his condition worsened and he died uh, some years ago. So, uh, yeah, it's a bit unfortunate because he, if you ever look at the original Rocketeer comics, which we will be talking about, I'm sure, coming up soon, they are lush and gorgeous, and it is some amazing artwork. And then the stories themselves are exactly what you would want out of it. They are incredibly fun. Um, so I wish he would have been able to stick around and uh, do more work in that. Okay, so back to the film. The film began development in 1983, and it languished in development hell for years until finally um, they were able to secure it and uh, get it going. And it, even though it came out like right around the time of other comic book movies, like Batman came out in 89, and um, Dick Tracy came out in 1990, those sort of kicked down the door for, oh, okay, we're going to do comic book movies now. The Rocketeer was already in progress and working toward there. So from what I understand, I mean, Dick Tracy wouldn't have had anything to do with it. And Dick Tracy wasn't like a success either. But even Batman, even though it was two years before, from what I understand, the Rocketeer was kind of already in the works. And then Batman was a success. And I think at that point it was sort of like, oh, shit, the Rocketeer could be a thing. Um, and then unfortunately it was not a thing. But uh, came out right in that kind of period, and then after that, you had things like The Shadow and uh, Billy Zane in The Phantom, and uh, a handful of other ones as well. These like pulpy throwback um, comic book or comic strip adaptations. Okay, few other things for us here. James Horner supplied the score, which is very fun, very swashbuckly. The film made 46 million, but its budget was 35 to 40 million, so it uh, it was seen as not being successful. You know, you have to factor in like uh, ticket sales because the theaters get a cut of that, and factor in marketing. So it likely, you know, not only did not turn a profit, it likely was like a failure to some regard. All right, last thing I'll say is just some cast notes. We've got uh, Billy Campbell plays Cliff Secord, also known as the Rocketeer. Jennifer Conley is Jenny Blake. She was um, named Betty Page. Her name was like spelled slightly differently, but it was Betty Page in the comics, and she was modeled after Betty Page, 
who um, the artist uh, Dave Stevens like actually had become friends with. But Betty Page just didn't want her name used in a film adaptation, so they changed that up. Alan Arkin, the great character actor Alan Arkin, plays P.V. Peabody, who is a, a mechanic friend. Timothy Dalton is Neville Sinclair as a, as a Hollywood actor. Terry O'Quinn of Lost Fame and The Stepfather plays Howard Hughes. And then we have a handful of other character actors like Paul Sorvino and John Polito. And that's kind of the, the key people there. All right. So that uh, that's kind of like the, the major overview here for the Rocketeer. So we'll dive into this. We've got uh, a cast of comic book fans right here. They've been on some other comic book episodes. I believe this is the same crew we had for the Fantastic Four, right? Uh, yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Yep. All right. Uh, okay, so we will uh, introduce here. So, Nate, welcome back to the show for this uh, comic-centric episode. Hey, thank you. I'm glad to be back and watching fun movies and talking about them. All right. And we also have David, who is our comic book expert extraordinaire. Uh, I read a fair amount, but uh, usually if I have a question on something, I can ask David, and he uh, he tends to have an encyclopedic answer for me. Hi, thanks for having me back. I'm excited. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. Okay. Big, big swing. All right. All right, so we will dig into the Rocketeer here uh, before we go. And this obviously is not going to play great for radio or for a podcast, but I'm going to show my uh, crew members here. Uh, I actually have two toys of the Rocketeer. Nice. Here is a great toy of the Rocketeer in a crouch Excellent. position with a gun. I uh, don't remember. It might have been like Funko or something. And then this other one, I can't remember what it's from, but oh. it's the Rocketeer like launching with, uh, he's got this like uh, jetpack launching cool. shit going on. So really they're nice. both very cool. They both look great. If you know the look of the Rocketeer, which he's in this sort of like old timey flight suit. And then he has an amazing helmet that is probably one of the best designed sci-fi like helmets of uh, of, of any awesome. kind of medium. That's for uh, sure. Yeah, oh, I, I love that helmet so much. Um, so it uh, it looks uh, comics and film accurate because they did take that helmet and make it pretty much one-to-one from the comics. Um, but yeah, so obviously this is not going to play great for anyone listening. Uh, they can't see it. But there are some Rocketeer toys out there that are pretty sweet that you might be able to find on eBay or, um, you know, this the second one I mentioned may actually still be available to buy um, new. It was a few years ago. All right. So we will open up the floor here. What do we make of the Rocketeer? Mm, I think it's definitely I'm going to jump in because David's going to gush like a little baby about this. But the reality <laughs> is I remember this as a kid and then I watched it as an adult. And then, Linton, you watched it with me, with my children. And that was interesting. Um, I remember it being a little boring. And I would say it lived up to that. It was a little bit boring. It it just felt a little slow at times. But then the kids were like, yeah, it's all right. I mean, there was no, like, real emotion, like, strong emotion one way or the other about it. And they're like, yeah, it was an okay movie. It was kind of boring, but it was okay. So... I do have a I do have a question on that, Nate, because uh, you 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 know well I was there and I I know what they were saying and they relayed some stuff to you, but because I know you showed your daughter the thing for the first time, and she was also kind of like, eh, it's not that scary, which it's like 
you shut the fuck up. <laughs> but, but but also, um, you know, it's, it's a master class in, in filmmaking and uh, special effects. But it does make me wonder, like, I mean, you know, obviously, like, as a kid, you know, if, if I was to watch some movie when I was a kid from, like, the 50s or 60s, some things I could latch on to, some things I could be like, this is old, this is stodgy, I don't like this, whatever. I probably wouldn't use the word stodgy, but I was a smart kid, so maybe. Um, but you were I'm wondering though, like when you're, when, when you're talking about your kids of like, not them, not being super into it, have they seen, I would assume so, but have they seen, and what are their, um, what's their impression of like the Indiana Jones films? They love the good ones. They loved them. Okay. They, they, they love, honestly, I've been showing my, I've been trying to like ease them into some of the older movies that we've watched. They loved Indiana Jones. They love Forrest Gump which I was not right. expecting a seven or eight year old to love Forrest Gump. And, and to be fair, my 13 year old who watched the thing with me, she's kind of too cool for everything. So there's a very good chance that she wouldn't admit that it was good. But I also think 4k may ruin things like the thing with practical effects where it may be just a little bit easier to see, like, I think there's something about a tube TV where you don't have as clear of a picture that makes things a little scarier, especially pre- especially practical effects. David, David has a laundry list of things to talk about with The Thing, Indiana Jones, Rocketeer. We're going to be here all night. David? Uh, actually, I will kind of agree. Watching The Rocketeer again, um, I projected it in my uh, place and watching on a larger screen um the effects were very good for the time like him flying but well but they weren't great and so and, and i could see that but i do have a little bit of the nostalgia going for it uh although i still say practical effects will always be best or a good combination of the two especially in horror movies um the rocketeers one of the best comic book adaptations. Uh, I've always said this. I love it. They stay true to the character. They clear clean up a little bit of it to make it a little bit more palatable for a Disney audience. Um, he's not as big of a dick. Uh, but His girlfriend isn't as sexy. They Yeah. Uh, I mean, she's I mean, still sexy, but she's, she's, still, not, she's not taking... Uh, it's Jennifer uh, Connelly. She's not taking sexy naked pictures, though. That happens in the comics. Yeah, she's not boudoir photography. You remember what I said about Jennifer Connelly when I watched this movie, and this is terrible of me. I cannot ever not hear Requiem that... for a Dream. <laughs> <laughs> so if we're going to talk about her... I mean, I'm sorry. We, I don't want to talk about her with being sexy anything, because all I think about is <laughs> Requiem for a Dream, and it's, it's like the worst kind of sexy right the wrong kind of sexy so. i i would I, I would say that wasn't a sexy scene at all <laughs> not well but you know what i'm saying like it was a sexual content but it was disgusting yeah, yeah. but uh i i love this movie it's i i think it's fun and um it works well and all the design is spot on Everything from uh, the Bulldog Cafe place, like that, they really did. Well, Dave Stevens apparently helped work uh, or produce, or he was involved in some level with the yeah. movie. 
Uh, he said, I believe he said he was 70% satisfied with it. Which, okay, that, that's fair. Um, but yeah, it it comes across as a great, fun movie. I understand the, I understand why it didn't do as well as it could have. Um, I understand why it didn't get sequels, but uh, I loved it. So that uh, Bulldog Cafe, so for anyone who hasn't seen the movie or seen it in a while or read the comics, yeah, there's just like this little cafe that's the building is styled to look like a dog, like a dog sitting, and then you like go in by the front of its legs, and then like the top of the building is a dog's face. So I just assumed that was just a quirky thing from the comics that they then replicated into the movie, but in looking at the trivia for this, I guess that was a real place in California at the time. So he, um, I don't know if it was the same name, but he, that was something in the Rocketeer comics, he would incorporate some famous like landmarks and famous like actors and character actors. And there's actually some like famous fictional characters that he weaves into the narrative in like a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen way. Um, you know, That's most cool. people are more familiar with the movie that didn't work very well, but the like Alan Moore comics, uh, which are great has, you know, all of these characters of fiction coexisting. So I can touch on that a little bit later when we get talk a little bit about the comics. But yeah, so he would draw in all these things from both fiction and reality and kind of merge them into this, you know, idealized superhero-y type world of the 30s. Um, so here's where I blow up David's brain. I don't love The Rocketeer. I am not, uh, now I don't, I don't hate it. I don't hate the movie. Um, I've watched this movie several times. I don't. I never saw it as a kid, or maybe I would have seen parts. It's a movie that I should love and embrace based on the elements in there. Um, based on its, I, I like throwback pulpy stuff when it's done really well, and and the Rocketeer has a great basis for that. I mean, like as a good example, if anyone ever has ever read the Hellboy comics. The first Hellboy comic I ever read, which was actually at Tom's, at, at the comic shop back in Athens where we used to go. Uh, first comic I ever read of Hellboy was uh, The Conqueror Worm, which oh. is Hellboy like battling Nazis. And there's like a ghost that shows up and there's other like cre there's a fucking gorilla robot and there's like a dude with a head in a jar. And it's like it's an amazing it's a wonderful comic. And that was the first mm -hmm. one I read. And I was like, oh, this is great. And then I was reading other Hellboy comics, and I'm like, well, this is good, but it's just kind of like, it's just not the same. It's just a lot of, like, mystical gobbledygook and Rasputin's doing shit. Like, like I, I want my pulpy Nazi gorillas. Like, where's that at? So, like, when it when it really hits the balance, um, I'm, I'm all about it, and I want to be all about the Rocketeer. I've given it a few chances of, like, all right, well, maybe... Maybe it'll get there, and it just never quite does. And um, I watched it maybe six months ago or a year ago, and it you know it makes sense for the podcast because it's you know it's a lesser known comic book movie. It wasn't successful, but the but in, in rewatching it, you know, like a year ago or whatever, I landed on really for me. There's two reasons why I think it doesn't totally work. I mean, I'd, out of like five stars, I, I'd give it a three. I think it's an enjoyable enough movie. I think it's a good movie for kids and stuff. I get why you like it, David. I get why people embrace it. I really like the comics, and we'll talk about that stuff. But, um, but it just doesn't quite get there for me as a movie, and I think there's two things that would greatly improve it. One is the like action scenes just aren't there for me. 
Like when stuff's going down, like it's like it feels slow. He doesn't feel like he does enough. Half the time he just feels kind of like a hapless idiot. <laughs> and I know that he's like a guy thrust in these situations and he's not necessarily like a quote unquote hero. But I mean, to that same token, neither is Indiana Jones. Like Indiana Jones's job is he's an archaeologist that he just happens to be able to beat the fuck out of people. And so like Cliff Secord is a pilot and he's young and he's healthy and he's fit. So like we're on board if he's able to like beat people up. Nobody's going to question it. Um, and so it's just like some of the scenes, I feel like there's not an energy to them that they need. Like I'm thinking of like when they're in the, the like, uh, ballroom dance place or whatever. And he's just mm-hmm. kind of like flying around and it's like, it's like, this could be such a cool, like zipping around, beating people up, but he just seems like he just doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. And other, other action sequences, just, they drag in the way that like Indiana Jones does not. And we're going to bring it back to that because this movie is well the original comics are very much pulling off of indiana jones because the guy literally worked on it and then this movie was made surely with the idea of this can be disney's indiana jones and so i think that's a big thing of like it just doesn't it doesn't hit that act those action beats and i mean if you look at joe johnston's other stuff i mean honey i shrunk the kids is a very like charming movie it's a fun family movie it's got great practical effects but it's not like a jam-packed action adventure kind of thing. Jumanji has like some actiony sequences, but again, it's more just like ah, elephants are chasing us. It's it's not you know we're not talking raiders here. Jurassic Park three is basically seen as the worst of the series, and I would I would agree. Um, and then Captain America: uh, First Avenger, you know, I know some people don't like it or think it wasn't all that great. I haven't watched in a long time, but I. I like it more than the Rocketeer. Um, and I think that the, from my memory, the action is better than in this one. So for me, I'd say the action is the big thing, but even bigger than the action is Billy Campbell, the nothing that is Billy Campbell who went on to do virtually nothing else. Sorry if Billy Campbell's been Googling himself and, and is going to be listening to this Rocketeer podcast or something, but um, I just feel he's just like a black hole of charisma. He just, I don't, I don't care. Like, he does not make me care about the character. He's not, like, charming enough, or I'm not invested in him. And we'll talk about some of the people who could have been the Rocketeer, and I think some of those people could have made the movie a lot better. And even, like, if the action wasn't working quite as well, choices that an actor might have made where you're kind of, like, for instance, like in, in Indiana Jones stuff, you've got the cool action stuff, but when, when action isn't going on and you're just going from like scene to scene and moving the plot along, you're still locked in with Harrison Ford, who is mesmerizing on screen, and everyone on the planet loves him, and we all know this. And so like even scenes where he's not beating dudes up, you're still right there locked in with Indiana Jones and Harrison Ford. And you need someone like that for the Rocketeer. You need a charismatic guy, or even like, let's say, Christopher Reeve as Superman. Like Superman's not beating people up all the time in those in the like the first two, the good ones. But when he's not, he's just embodying Superman and he's fantastic to watch. Or you could even say Michael Keaton is Batman. He's not the best comic accurate Batman, but he's great to watch as that character. And I just think you need someone like that to really make the Rocketeer, forgive me, fly off the page. 
Um, but uh, it's a uh... shame, shame. Oh shame. fuck both of you. Um, <laughs> That's but, it. I'm uh, out. But anyway, so yeah, that those are my two hang-ups with this movie and where I think they falter. And we we can talk about both as we go along. But that's that's my opening thing. I mean, Billy Campbell. I remember when I was watching this, I'm like, man, he looks so familiar. And I looked at his IMDb, and I'm like, I don't know anything he was in other than this. He just seems like dude, just some dude you'd know. And it's like, and not really anything else. That was just like, oh, this guy. And that was all I kind of felt about him. And, and yeah, there was, I mean, I, I, I will say, I don't know if the writing necessarily did him some ser- did him service. Not that it was bad, but it just, it didn't pop. It didn't fly off the page. It, uh, it sat, it, 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 he just kind of existed on screen and that was about it. You know, I, I, that's, I think that's where I find the boring part of this movie where it's like, he just didn't do so, do anything. Yeah. He's got I mean, a jetpack, and that's cool. I will admit, he's no Billy Zane in Phantom. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I are, are we not ready to talk about the casting? Because I thought there was lots no, of people that you that were could have been much yeah, better. I mean, we're right here. Let's go ahead and do it. Yeah, go ahead. I, I mean, I have a list of stuff uh, that I can go into of like the official, like who was looked at. But yeah, we can open it up to anything else first. There were lots of people during this time period that could have played it well, like a Brandon Frazier, a um, like the, uh, Billy Zane could have played it well. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of people. I mean, Billy Zane suffers from some of the same problems where his charisma is hit or miss. But I think he could have. I think he could have done a better job than than this guy. Um, but but let go ahead and read your list because there are some excellent names on that list. All right, so uh, I'm gonna read uh, a bit here verbatim. Um, just so it's it's all covered. All right. Casting the lead role of Cliff Secord was a struggle for the filmmakers. Disney executive Jeffrey Katzenberg even had one of the studio's then staff writer, Carrie Kirkpatrick, audition for the part. Kevin Costner and Matthew Modine were the first actors considered for the role. I don't like Matthew Modine myself. Like, I don't think he'd be good at it. Kevin Costner would be pretty good, although it seems like he might have been too old at that point to be him. But I don't know. Um, but he has a good look. Um, when they both prov- proved to be unavailable, Dennis Quaid, Kurt Russell, Bill Paxton, and Emilio Estevez all auditioned for the part. Um, and some of those could have potentially worked. Kurt Russell's great, but I don't think he's great for the Rockets. He's too much of a, a too much snake plissken for that, I'd say. Well, here's the thing I said to you, Nate, when we were watching and we were talking about it afterwards. Like, I yeah. I don't think the Rocketeer, like the, if you look at the comics and then also just how the character is played and, you know, on the page, like what he is like, he shouldn't come off as like manly. He should come mm-hmm. off as like, he should be attractive, but he should be boyish that it's, it's, there's a, a youth to him. Whereas like Kurt Russell, just like from the age of like 22 <laughs> is just like a full grown man. And right. I don't think he would fit for that. Um, but uh, yeah, Johnny, Johnny yeah. Depp was Disney's favorite choice. And Johnny Depp has the right look. Johnny Depp, we know, can create interesting characters. Johnny Depp would have carried the charisma of of him scene to scene, like I was saying, with how mm-hmm. Harrison Ford could. And, I mean, that's the one. There's another one I'll throw out here, but that's the one where I was like, Disney was fucking right. <laughs> um, Paxton uh, said he came really close to getting the lead. Here's one that I do not understand. I'm getting this from like Wikipedia, assuming this is correct, but it's bizarre as fuck. Vincent D'Onofrio turned the role down. 
Which, like, amazing actor. Great actor, Vincent D'Onofrio. He's been in a lot of good stuff. He's Kingpin now, and he's great as Kingpin. He does not have the look. He does not have the build. He, I mean, he, he can be charismatic, but I don't know that he could be him. Like, he, he would come oh, off as... I, it's, it's so It's so oh. mind-boggling. Well, he's more than that. He's done so I many know, other great roles. But I just don't, I don't see him embodying a character like this. Ooh. If for no other reason, just his physicality. He's just like a big fucking dude. And it just, yeah. he's going to come off as this, like, oh. hulking mechanic guy instead of, like, this zippy little rocket man. Uh, ooh, um, that's weird. Uh, then, then these were from IMDb. I don't know if they're legit. Um, they, they may or may not be because like some of these names seem highly suspect to me. So I'm just going to throw them out there. This is 1990, 1991 was when the you know, movie came out in 91. It was originally, as I said earlier, like they were trying to get it around whatever I said, it, you know, mid eighties. So maybe some of these names were thought about back then. According to this, Michael Keaton, Alec Baldwin, Robin Williams, Mel Gibson, Harrison Ford, Ron Perlman, and Tom Hanks were supposedly considered. Now, again, this might have been in, in the years prior. And these are like just some people who were big or emerging. So they literally just might have been on a list of like, oh, let's see if we could get this guy. Who knows? The other one that I saw on IMDb, though, when I saw this, I was like, God fucking damn it. Apparently, Michael J. Fox was considered to play the Rocketeer, and he, would, just like Johnny Depp, would have been fantastic because he's cute and boyish, he's little, and um, you know he would convey the character well, and we know from Back to the Future and other roles, like he's got fucking charisma, he can be funny, he can carry scenes. He would be amazing. So he, he would, would be I the... mean, the, I mean, obviously, he, got, he had his Parkinson's diagnosis uh, you know, right around in this time, but he was still making movies and doing TV shows and stuff. Like, he did The Frighteners in 96, and that's a very Marty McFly-type role. So, like, he could have potentially, like, coming off of Back to the Future, this would have been, like, the year following, he could have jumped straight from that into The Rocketeer. Yes, please. I'm sitting there, you know, at at eight years old watching this. Uh, I'm right there for it. But, yeah, then the only other thing I'll throw out there is, um, again, quoting directly, the decision to cast Billy Campbell as Cliff Secord caused mixed emotions among Disney executives. Director Joe Johnston and creator Dave Stevens believed Campbell was perfect for the role, but Disney wanted an A-list actor. Johnston eventually convinced Disney otherwise. And it's like, perfect for the role? I mean, if you look at... He looks perfect. Like, he, he, do, he does look very much like the character as he is drawn in the original comics. I will agree with that. But... Michael J. Fox or Johnny Depp don't look drastically different in the facial features than the comics, and they're much better actors and more much. charismatic. I'm going to say Bill Pullman would have been the best one out of that list. I said Bill Pullman, too. I was going to say that when he met... I talked about that while we were watching him. I think Bill Pullman would have been a good look for it as well. But, yeah, that... I mean, Billy Campbell was the least uh, good part of the cast. Uh, visually, he's perfect for the uh, role if you're going mm-hmm. by the comic, but like Jennifer Connelly as the Betty Page type, perfect. Alan Arkin, God, I just love PV. Mm-hmm. And it was fun seeing, uh, what's his name? Uh, James Bond. As Timothy an, Dalton. Timothy Dalton as an evil Nazi. Dude, yeah, literally. Uh, as opposed to all those good Nazis, David. Uh, <laughs> oh, David. <laughs> Honestly, I really do think that 
you have all these great people in cast cast in this show, in this movie, and then you got the main actor, and you're like, eh, we'll phone it in. He looks good. That's all we need. We'll we'll just hope he doesn't write. Well, it, it's so weird too that both the director and the creator went so hard at the bat for him because like I could understand Stevens going for him because like oh he looks just like how I drew him it's like all right but you don't make movies so you know maybe leave some of this to us but Joe Johnston that's the one that's kind of strange to me and not that he was a seasoned director and again I, I listed some of his credits he had some good movies he had some like mediocre stuff he's had other ones that I didn't mention or whatever but still it's just like I, I don't know I'm sure there's a Johnny Depp screen test. There might be a Michael J. Fox screen test. I'm sure they're better than this, than this dude. Mm-hmm. And it's not that he's like embarrassing. It's just that he's not, he doesn't make any of it come alive. And I, I don't know. I just don't get it. He's not all that bad. Dude, he, he I just he do not, not care. He does not make me care about the Rocketeer. That's okay. the problem. That's my, the central hole. And I think that's the reason why the movie was boring to me. It's because he did not have any pop or anything to him. You know, there was just like, okay, he exists in a movie. That's just about it. And he's the main character. I do know that, uh, I mean... You're getting getting offended. I think he's getting a little upset. No, no, no. Are you going to be okay? Are you going to be okay? No, uh, I know just that... kill your childhood. There's, I, I told you, there's a lot that I can yeah. say positive about this movie. There's a lot that I think works, but for me, he's the the biggest factor that that drags it down. No, like uh, I, I do kind of wonder because I know that they, in more modern, um, not horror but superhero movies, because one of the two for me i guess um a lot of times uh less now it seems but for a while there they were trying to go with no name actors and i'm wondering if that's what joe johnson was trying to do Mm. trying to think long term but i I can't imagine why because yeah no even i agree some of the names on that list would be much much better actors even if visually they weren't right so are you trying to say that you think he was looking at a franchise, looking at it as a franchise, be like, if we get this guy, we can afford him for a few movies. If we went with someone like a Depp or a, like, it's that's a bunch of money out the gate. But, and, but Johnny Depp wasn't an yeah. A-lister at the time. I mean, he had been in some hits, and Edward Scissorhands was 1990, and that 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 made him into a bigger presence. But he wouldn't, he wasn't Johnny Depp, he wasn't Pirates of the Caribbean Johnny Depp. Right. And Michael J. Fox would have been about at the height of his career then because he's yeah. coming off Family Ties and the Three Back to the Future films. So he would have been expensive, I'm sure. But right. worth it. Worth I mean, every penny. Disney definitely did want this to be a, uh, a series for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was what? In between or ju- in between the two Batman movies or maybe coming out at the same time? As this the is the second? year before Returns. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, so there was that franchise they're coming off of um, uh, the end of uh, Indiana Jones which was 89 when yes. that when yep. that came out uh, we don't talk about the fourth one mm. but visually the act uh, the actors all of them are spot on and perfect and it does really look like that's what they were going for uh, it just so happened that 
um, the main character, the visually perfect actor, was perhaps not as good of an actor as uh, uh, as Paul Sorvino, who is <laughs> a tertiary character. And I would say this is his second best role other than Repo, the genetic opera. Above Goodfellas? <laughs> oh yeah, he was in that too. <laughs> Um, so uh, a few other uh, casting things uh, to throw out there. Um, so Jenny, which is Betty in the comics. So some other people who were considered Sherilyn Fenn of Twin yeah. Peaks. And, uh, you know, David is shaking his head, but uh, Sherilyn Fenn can pull off a Betty Page look. Um, but Kelly Preston, Diane Lane and Elizabeth McGovern were all considered. But uh, I think Jennifer Conley has a great look for it. And then also mm-hmm. she is a good actress. I don't think. I think she'd be great. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's any problem on her end. I think if she was with a better leading man, her scenes would have popped more. Um, and then uh, they tried to get Lloyd Bridges for PV, who would have been very fun. Um, but uh, but they ended up going with Alan Arkin, who also is uh, fantastic in anything he does. Neville Sinclair had some interesting names. Well, let me come back to that one. Uh, Paul Sorvino, who is the mobster, was written for Joe Pesci. Um, but Pesci turned it down, and so they went with uh, Paul Sorvino. Pesci. Um, that would have had such a different tone to that. Such a different tone. And then, uh, yeah, Neville Sinclair, who is an Errol Flynn type. Uh, and, uh, and we find out, spoiler alert, that he is, uh, is, a, is a Nazi agent. So there were a few names that were on their list, apparently, um, aside from Timothy Dalton. They also considered, uh, well, I guess they offered it to Jeremy Irons, which I can Good. see. And they also offered it to Charles Dance, who is Papa Lannister from Game of Thrones, uh, Tywin Lannister. And Charles Dance is a great creepy motherfucker, and he could have been a very good uh, villain in this. But I, I like Timothy Dalton because he uh, he does have that, Errol Flynn, swashbuckling, 30s, 40s actor look that Charles Dance would not have had. Um, although I think Jeremy Irons could have pulled that off pretty well, too. Um, but he has that good look. And then, you know, Timothy Dalton also has got, like, that great smile and can come off as, like, oh, he's a good guy. Even though, I mean, we know, like, that he's, like, a sleazebag before we find out that he's an act, like, outright villain. But uh, I, I think it works for that kind of, like, duplicitous nature of the character better than... Whereas, like, if Charles Dance walks into a room, you're just immediately like, oh, he's, he's here to kill me. <laughs> right. so. Well, I, I told you this during, during the movie. I thought Mandy Patinkin, you could have swapped him out for Timothy Dalton and you wouldn't have... I think okay. they would have... Right. I, I, mean, I think Timothy Dalton was great, but I also was like... I felt like he looked like Mandy Patinkin in Princess Bride during his, his scenes in the... I don't know. That that was just me. I just like man. That that's what I. It struck me when you saw him swashbuckling and, and with the hair the way it was. It was. It just screamed Mandy Patinkin and Princess. Bride. Nate just can't get ass to ass or Mandy Patinkin out of his mind. Those are the only places his brain goes. Hey, I don't know. The, those are some formative movies for me. Apparently, <laughs> some people have a right hemisphere and a left hemisphere. Nate has a Patinkin ass to ass. Now I'm picturing Patinkin ass to ass. What the hell, dude? Like with himself? Is this just like a clone situation? I or? think so, David. What are now, you putting in my brain? I'm not putting... This is your brain, sir. Oh, man. We need to edit this out. 
Are you kidding? This is going to open the episode. I know. And that's what I'm afraid of. Um, honestly, I, I still think, like, I love Jeremy Irons and all, but uh, Timothy Dalton, he... I love him as the villain because he's, uh, I mean, he's James Bond. Yeah, we all loved him. So like, nicely smarmy. Yeah, he... He was kind of still playing that type, the, you know, British, uh... Secret uh, agent. Yeah. Just, just happened to be... Nazis. the Nazis. But, no, no, but that, it works really well. He, he's a charming fellow, even if he's a little bit skeevy towards women. And, uh, in the movie, at first you don't realize it, but then, um, it, it does a lot better than, uh... Because as much as I love Jeremy Irons, even him, if I see him in a movie, I'm going to go, this guy's a bit intense. This guy's going to be a bit possibly evil. Whereas uh, Dalton, it's just, oh, cool. He's going to be the good guy, right? He's always the good guy. Oh, no. Well, here's the thing. His James Bond is probably the least good guy version of Bond, though, because he played him. A lot of people consider his Bond the closest to the book's Bond, which the book's Bond is Bond is just kind of a ruthless killer that the IMF, or not IMF, that's Mission Possible, MI6. that the uh, MI6 just lets loose on the world. Because in the books, he's he's not the like more charming Sean Connery version. He's just kind of a vicious bastard. And a lot of people think that the way Dalton played him was the closest that's ever been done. I mean, the Daniel Craig ones get closer to that, I would say, than mm-hmm. others, but... But I think a lot of people think that like Dalton had the look for how Bond is described and some of the illustrations and then also um, just being kind of like a ruthless motherfucker and not like a charming dude. Because, you know, the the spectrum goes all the way up to Roger Moore's silly bullshit. Um, And so Dalton was definitely on the, the far end of that. I think at his time they weren't ready for like the the gray area hero. Like I think we were still yeah. in a, a black and white sort of world with our heroes and, and our villains and stuff. So I think the fact that I, I think that's why he didn't do as many movies to me. It feels like because we weren't ready for the, the Daniel Craig Bond, which is very gray area. Which you know, there's a lot of it. it just felt it, I just don't think it's there yet in time in our process. Uh, Dalton Bond was my Bond, I think. You know, like in Doctor Who, who's your doctor? Yeah. My Bond, uh, what, his movies came out in 86 and 89, I think. So I was around Somewhere five, yeah. I was five or six, nine, and my, like, and those were the movies I, I, those were the first Bond movies I saw with my dad, so I will always think of, uh, Timothy Dalton as kind of the nice guy, or at least yeah. kind of, like, he was the hero, and so I walked into this movie as a, uh, 10 or 11 year old going, the hero's a bad guy. So, a <laughs> um, couple other notes on like uh, this kind of like casting character related stuff. So I didn't know this, but uh, so Neville Sinclair is set up to be very similar to Errol Flynn. Um, we see him on set in a swashbuckling movie that is very much pulling from the Adventures of Robin Hood. I think there's even like a fight up a stairwell or a mm-hmm. staircase, which is straight from Adventures of Robin Hood. He's got that little, like, pencil-thin John Waters mustache that Errol Flynn had and that was fashionable back in the day. So I didn't know this, but I guess... Uh, so, so this character, Neville Sinclair, is not in the original Dave Stevens comics. Um, they do carry certain elements over or similar characters into the movie, 
but this is a wholly created character by the screenwriters. So I guess there was a salacious biography of Errol Flynn in the 80s that claimed that Flynn was a Nazi spy. And years later, it was like after the time when this movie came out, like, you know, enough evidence had mounted that this was like utter bullshit. And it was just like a guy trying to just like sell a book on a crazy thing. But at the time, it was sort of an up in the air of like, oh, shit, what was he? And so then this movie's coming out. And so they basically were taking that that was kind of out there in the zeitgeist as a possible like rumored thing and then inserting it into the movie, which is really cool. I never knew that they, that that had that uh, connection. Yeah. Um, and then I already mentioned the Betty page thing. And then the other thing is there is a character in this called Lothar <laughs> who is this big hulking brute. Um, and I would say there are basically two things they are pulling from for Lothar. One is there was a villainous character actor named uh, Rondo Hatton in like the 50s, 60s. He was in a lot of like kind of B movies and he was just like one of those guys where it's like you need a go-to big scary dude. It's this guy. And he had like, I don't know if he actually had like a disorder that created um, some like facial distortion, but he just, you know, had a very unusual and kind of like really big uh, facial features and things. And so they made up a guy to look like him for the villain but it also gives it a very Dick Tracy vibe um, because this guy like looks almost just outside of reality in the way that a lot of Dick Tracy villains uh, look. So um, that's a neat little addition, I think. Acro Megali or Megali. That's the, the what what caused his facial features to be that way. Gotcha. Excess growth hormone. OK. Interesting. And his practical effects were terrible, by the way. I gotta say, well, that. his his uh, his makeup. mouth his mouth yeah. movements. Well, his makeup was. I didn't think it was bad, but his his mouth movements to his dialogue did not work. Well, and, and his mouth just went. Ah, bah, 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 bah. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't. There was no movement in the lips whatsoever. It, that was one of the hardest parts to watch for me. When I'm like, ugh, that took me right out of the movie. But he didn't talk much, so I, most of it's just like, oh, there's a big scary dude. So I think that worked. In the comic, uh, Lothar's there, but a completely different character. Yes. He's in the second part, which wasn't even done. Wasn't even completed by the time this movie happened. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty sure he showed up in the comics before the movie uh, was being worked on, but his story wasn't done um, because it took decades and decades. But uh, I don't think it took decades, but it took a number of years. I think the last one came out in the 2000s, I thought. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, like, it It took the better part of 20 years to put out the equivalent of All like, right, well, eight issues. Far be it for me to question your comics knowledge. I'm pretty I just, sure. I just yeah. know that he died in the, like, mid-2000s or something. But, yeah, may, maybe that was one of the last things he did. The, um, I mean, he... I think three issues came out over a course of seven years. So, it was... Ooh. He was but, the George R.R. R. Martin of comic writers. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, but his stuff's actually good. Ooh. What the fuck is that? That's, that's ludicrous. That's a ludicrous statement. Oh, 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 oh. oh wow. Well, David's making lots of dumb statements tonight, folks. <laughs> I, I also have, like... Uh, a Game of Thrones toy literally next to me right now. 
I always like that uh, in a previous episode, uh, we were talking, we made mention of like uh, young Frankenstein and to be just within arm's reach pulls over like a signed laser disc. So I love that just like just off screen, he has any number of geek items he can grab like it's Pee Wee's Playhouse or some shit. I'd like to think it wasn't staged, and I'm not sure it was or it wasn't. So who knows? I'll, I'll live in my fantasy that to be. I mean, his his nerd room. I fits this is in a different room than when I've been there. It is small-ish, and he could grab something from any from any spot in the room from from the corner. So things are more spread out now. I'd have to actually walk over to another room to grab the uh, laser disc now. All right, all right, all right. Um. <clears throat> oh. Uh, the Betty Page thing is interesting because he named her after Betty Page in the uh, in the comics and all that, but at first it was just an homage, and then it wasn't, I think, until around when the movie was happening that he went to meet Betty Page and gave her a check going, thank you. And then uh, Stevens became her friend. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. after cool. that, yeah, after that, he would, like, go get her groceries and shit. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, for some yeah. reason, Disney didn't want to have Betty Payton. No, I from what uh, I read, yeah. she she didn't want it to be used because that was probably just kind of taking it. You know, it's now like you're capitalizing on on her image yeah. for for a for a billion dollar movie. And I mean, I, I don't know. I there were other issues I had with the movie just than just the casting that than some of the, the casting of the main character, right? There were some really weird moments and weird choices that I felt like it was, you know, just to move the plot along and stuff. Like, he's he's working the, like, one of the first flights he has. Well, let's start with the plane. Like, with setting up the whole thing, the whole mafia shooting at the, the FBI and mafia fighting over what, obviously, we, we find out they stole the rocket, the rocket pack. And... Like just r- weird things, like let's fly over top of the uh, the the gun battle, and then for no reason the mafia is like, yeah, you know, let's just shoot this this plane down, not having any real effect on what what's going on, but we're just gonna shoot in the middle of the gun battle, stop what we're doing, and shoot at this random plane, and it was like, it, it, I know we we're trying to to set stuff up, but it just seems like weird options, and you know, forgetting how to use the button after he's been flying it pretty pretty well for a good 10 minutes and then he's like oh wait how do i use this thing it's just there was just some really weird parts to it i'm like i get you're learning this but it's it's just like i didn't make sense to me and i think even as a kid i was like that's just weird i don't know why they did that so they they had some weird choices every once in a while that just kind of like what why would you put that in the movie why why does that make sense there were definitely other ways we could have done things but I, i don't know it i i know i'm i'm Kicking your 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 boyhood dreams. One, one of his favorite movies ever, I believe. He opened the podcast with. Yes, I. I'm not saying it's a perfect movie. I'm saying I love this movie, and it's one of the best comic book adaptations ever. Yeah, well, and 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 to be fair here, like I yeah, I don't want it to seem like uh, let's let's trash the Rocketeer. This movie is dog mm-hmm. shit. I wanted to get out the you know my reasons for why. I struggled to embrace it and I wish I could. I basically at the crux of it, I just think this movie could be better. I can just see how it could be better and it could, you know, it probably wouldn't be to the level of like Raiders and stuff. Cause how mm-hmm. could you try to attain that? But it could be something where you're like, Oh yeah, you know, it's in the same ballpark. 
And that's definitely what it's trying to get to. And I just feel with some slight tweaks, um, you know, it, it, it could have been to that level. Um, and I, you know, I, I hope they can, we'll, we'll talk more about like future possibilities for this. Um, but I hope they are able to capitalize on it better in the future. But yeah, let's, uh, let's dig into stuff we like about the movie. Anything and everything that we are all about for the Rocketeer. First of all, the design is yes. perfect. Uh, it was great in the comic. It's perfect in this. Um, honestly, the uh, the character design, uh, the costume design for uh, the Rocketeer is probably the biggest selling point. Mm-hmm. He looks so I, cool. <laughs> he does. Even with his double-breasted, removable front of his jacket, even with a waiter's coat, over top of the jacket, why wouldn't you take it off? But still, I Nate, like, we were talking about things we like. I I feel like <laughs> it captured like the clamshell opening with the band in it. I felt it was very very like this feels like the the the, the era. It felt really fun, and then like I said, it just it those sort of things really popped, and I liked that. I liked I liked the blimps. I like all that. It, it just felt really. It, it hit the period at the the right the time period very well. I really enjoyed that part, and, and that I think those were exciting and fun. And it, it just it, it felt it felt good. It felt comic booky. It felt like of the of the time period. Now I do believe that wasn't a blimp type dirigible, but the other kind of dirigible that had um, more of a structure throughout. Sorry, I watched a thing on airships. On YouTube earlier today. <laughs> I want you to hear my eye roll at you. I want the podcast world to hear how annoyed I am with what you just said and, and my eye roll here. Oh my god, I hate you, David. <laughs> so, I, I didn't watch that for this podcast. <laughs> That Which is worse. That's worse. <laughs> this That's is, worse. This is, this is separate blimp research David is conducting for his own purposes. Oh my no, God. no, no, no. Blimps specifically are the one. <laughs> Sorry, this wasn't a blimp. This wasn't a blimp, Layton. This was maybe a Zeppelin or something else. Oh, oh I love you, but I hate you so much. Oh, the humanity. Um, yes. Okay, so, um, yeah, so on the design, so that's a, an interesting note on it. So the helmet, I mean, the, the whole look of the Racketeer is fantastic. So he looks basically like he's a very stylized. I, I don't know if people from the 30s, pilots and stuff, wore this, like, exact getup, but they would wear similar things. He's got those, like, long boots with no laces, um, you know, like Jedi boots kind of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got, uh, like pantaloons that kind of like flare out. Um, and he's got this like leather jacket that like a flight jacket or something. But yeah, as Nate's saying, it has like buttons. It like basically has like some kind of flap all the way around where you could just like rip off the front of it. And I don't know exactly what it's for, but it looks cool as fuck. And then he's got the rocket pack and he's wearing like leather gloves, and then the helmet is, um, you know, very throwback to old, like, movie serials, 30s, 40s, like Commander Cody and the Airmen and, and other things like that, um, where they were just, like, guys with rocket packs and it's, like, Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon-y kind of thing. It looks amazing in the comics, 
And it's essentially one-to-one from the comics to the screen. I mean, there, there might be some slight modifications. You'd have to, like, really compare. But it's not like, oh, they changed it so much. But I guess that uh, Michael Eisner, who was of Disney at the time, uh, had to get his sticky fingers involved in everything, of course. Um, he, for some reason, wanted the helmet design to be something, like, NASA-like, which, like, why? What? What? I mean, it's not it's not era appropriate and like NASA like is like what you're going to see his face. That's not nearly as cool as the look of this. But um, because Stevens was very involved in the um, in the process of filmmaking, which like Disney wasn't loving that, that Stevens was on set like all the time. But he was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm really helping here. I'm, you know, helping with the design team and shit. Anyway, he got uh, a sculptor friend to make the helmet so that it matched the comics, but also like looked great from any angle. And so he was able to get that so that the, from a one-to-one from comics to screen. And uh, I love the costume and look so much. I would love to cosplay as the Rocketeer at like a convention or something, but I don't know how to do it. I don't know, I, I, like where you get all that stuff. I thoroughly remember as a child playing Rocketeer, like being like that was a cool ass costume, like jumping off little ledges and, and pretending you're flying around, and then really delivering lines and one-liners that are just really boring. But I thought it was, <laughs> I I really did think the the costume was amazing, and it, like even if I complained a little bit about flaps and stuff, it was a cool ass costume. Uh, I think I agree with you, Linton. I think it is. It really is. It sold the look. Just you know, you know, it was just again actor wise. And one other quick thing, since David is, has stressed the idea of like how much, like like you said, it was. You feel it's the most what accurate comics yeah. adaptation. Um, yeah. So I did. I wouldn't have known this obviously before doing the podcast, but uh, apparently Stevens gave the films production designer Jim Bissell and his two art directors his entire reference library pertaining to the Rocketeer at that time period, including blueprints for the hangers and bleachers, schematics for building the autogyro, photos and drawings of the Bulldog Cafe, the uniforms for the Air Circus staff, and contacts for locating the vintage aircraft that were to be used. Stevens remembers that they, quote, literally just took the reference and built the sets. So, like, everything that he used while making the comics, he was just like, here you go. And they were like, cool, you did our job for us. We're on it. (laughs) And, uh, I mean, it's amazing. And so, like, yeah, like, it, it does just make the comic then come alive in a way that often it would not. Linton, just to go off of what Nate said... Ass to ass? (laughs) Manny Patinkin? (laughs) You have... Well, what Nate said and what you said. I guess what you said. You have three months now to come up with your cosplay. The next con in Chicago is August, like, 5th. I challenge... I, I, that's, I, I know my limitations, man. I, I can't I can't do fucking metallurgy and make a helmet. You know, I, I would. But that's the thing. I would have to I'd have to, like, find a helmet that somebody made that would look right and would be not super expensive and would fit. So that's one thing you'd have to get the jet pack so that you could potentially make if you like knew enough of what you're doing and you could pull it off to get the look. But even then, it's like, all right, you've got the key things. But then you've got to find these like vintage boots. You got to find those fucking pants. You got to find that flight jacket shit. Like, 
I I'd love to do it, but I just it's just too many moving parts. If I was fucking rich, I you know yeah maybe, but I loved so much of this movie. Um, yeah, rewatching it now, uh, some of the uh, the fight scene on top of the uh, on top of the airship was fantastic. Oh, I I love that bit that. a lot. Mm-hmm. And that bit has some of the best music of the movie too. It's very that's when James Horner really kicks in the heroic shit. Yeah. yeah. Which, which, if anyone's listening, Disney or whoever the fuck owns the rights, put the Rocketeer soundtrack on vinyl. It is not on vinyl, mm. and it should be. It was uh, a good soundtrack, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, that was a great, exciting scene for me. Uh, I like how he took out the, uh, uh, how he took out Neville Sinclair at the end. How it wasn't exactly a fight, he just went, oh, and yeah, it was a little bit too convenient that that's how all that worked out. But uh, they made it work in the story. I, I found um, that to be very gum. like Indiana Jones ish. That to me felt the most like, oh, this feels like what they were going for. That that felt right to me. So the gum thing just felt right. It felt like the right move and, and the right feel for that for that fight. I don't know. Speaking of Neville Sinclair, uh, so uh, a third member of our panel was unable to make it because he was sick. Um, He's watched the movie a couple times, and uh, I just want to make sure this comment gets out to the world because I've always enjoyed it. So uh, for a little context, Neville Sinclair, we find out, so he's a Hollywood actor, and like I said, based on Errol Flynn, and then they kind of tied in this rumor mill aspect of Errol Flynn possibly being a Nazi agent. So within this film, Neville Sinclair is a Nazi agent. It's never explicitly clear to me if like if he's because he has a British accent, right? Yeah. So it's yeah, never clear yeah. to me like if he's British and then just got like hooked by the Nazis, or if he's actually supposed to be German. And is just pretending to be British and then pretending to be an American actor. I, I don't know what the what the steps are, but but regardless, he's in some way he's a Nazi agent, um, whether he's British originally or or German. But uh, but so he is trying to secure the rocket pack. The rocket pack was designed by Howard Hughes within the film, and it through like a mix up kind of thing, and because uh, mobsters are trying to steal it. Uh, ends up getting in Cliff Secord's hands, and then he's like, "Rocket Pack, cool, keeping this as you would." Um, but uh, but Neville Sinclair is trying to secure it to get it back to the Nazis, and so they can have you know their army of dark, as Sean Connery would say, the armies of darkness will march over the face of the earth. And so was Sean uh, Connery trying... just on this podcast? Yes, I'm very good, Nate. Um, so there, he's trying to get it back to the Nazis. Um, but my friend Ryan has said he always thought the movie would be better if uh, the villain's motivation was he was just a guy who wanted a jetpack. Like, there was no <laughs> Nazis or anything. He's just like, no, this is fucking cool. I just want that jetpack. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that would have been a good... Uh, I mean, who wouldn't want a jetpack, damn it? <laughs> so, that's cool. Yeah, I, 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 sorry, Ryan. I wish you were here. Every time Alan Arkin's on screen is fantastic, but mm-hmm. that's just understood. Expected. But, yeah. I will say the first, the initial rocket test, though, I feel cribs way too much from Doc and Marty's 
uh, DeLorean test. A little it bit, is yeah. like, it is, I mean, it's, it's a, it's an old guy and a young kid, but also like they're in the middle of a field all by themselves, Doc and Marty in the middle of a parking lot all by themselves. It's jet black behind them, which is the same. It's like visually they are like so close. I don't, I mean, I'm not complaining cause I love back to the future, but it's like they were already pulling a lot from the Indiana Jones series. And it's like, uh, and let's uh, do this. And that is something that's, it's not set up like that in the comics either. So that, that was a new creation for the movie. Okay. But, and I'm talking out my ass here as usual. Sure. But with authority. <laughs> but if the uh, comics were uh, largely based on and cribbing from a whole bunch of uh, old pulp comics and such, uh, like the Doc Savage and uh, Shadow, like semi cameos and all that, yeah, wouldn't it make sense for this movie to crib from other popular movies or uh, as an homage? I. Uh... I, I, I'm actually cool with that. Although I, I would argue if they were, if they were going to translate it from, we're going to take from literary or comic book references in the comics to, we're going to take that and translate it into film. I think they should be doing ones that were era appropriate instead of, cause back to the future is taking place in 1985. So like King Kong, you could start having shit like the, what is it? The venture or something, whatever the, the ship is in King Kong. Like you could have had something like that. Um, or other other things from like the 30s and 40s, uh, calling back. You know, I mean, Charles Foster Kane could have been referenced somewhere. You know, like you could have done that kind of shit. I'd have been all about it. I would have eaten that stuff up. This I just feel was more of a we want this to feel like Back to the Future because this is like this old crazy guy and this young kid. And they're gonna have zany adventures together, and I, I feel it was more of like a marketing kind of thing than a like inherent to the world that they're building. Mm-hmm. I could see that, but their dynamic is different than Marty and uh, Doc Brown, I'd say. Yes, worse. If, if, I mean, it doesn't have the creepy, why is this 15-year-old, uh, 16-year-old? Marty is 17 it. years old, David. I'm sorry. Ah, once again, I'm leaving. Uh, uh, no, um, I get there. I get their relationship uh, a little bit better in this, I suppose. But, I mean, Back, no, back to the Future is the better movie. Not going to argue that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed... Uh, I enjoyed their scenes together, or mostly because of uh, Arkin really sold the... I like this kid. He's a friend. I work with him, and I'm going to try to help him out, but he's kind of dumb. I, I really enjoyed all of that. And then, um, and I know this is a bit much to say, but remember that scene in The Searchers where uh, John Wayne has come back um, after leaving town after uh, the, after the uh, Civil War and he comes back and He's talking to his uh, brother's wife, and they pan over, and you see the uh, brother's wife sitting there, holding his old war uniforms, and and you realize there's such a story there. Yeah. And they just give that little bit. Alan Arkin saying one tiny thing about the last date he had in 1932, 
and just sighing and saying that woman's name and going, there was never any point to go on dates after that. That touched me. <laughs> You're making me think of the bit. Uh, as, have both of you seen Wayne's World 2? Mm-hmm. Of course. <laughs> All right, so there's a bit in Wayne's World 2 where uh, Wayne is trying to get to a wedding to stop a wedding with uh, the girl that he's been dating and love with and everything. Um, and they he has to get directions to a church on Baker Street and they have like a shitty intentionally shitty actor and he's like oh, I know this is a small part could we get like a better actor in here and they bring in Charlton Heston and he's like <laughs> ah Baker Street I once knew a girl who lived on Baker Street but that was a long time ago so uh, I feel that that's what you're relaying here to be <sighs> uh, that was just a sweet scene though honestly <laughs> Like, that was a, a nice 30 seconds where I was just like, oh, I really care about this guy now. Oh, I've got nothing I've got <laughs> nothing bad to say about Alan Arkin. I think he did a solid job, and he was a great pick. I just felt, yeah, that that, uh, that one scene was uh, was cribbing a little obvious for me. And uh, reviewers actually pointed out the time, because if you look at Wikipedia, like, some of the negative reviews, I saw someone was saying that it was basically just swiping from the Indiana Jones series and Back to the Future, and, like... That, to me, is the, like, clearest Back to the Future connection it has. Mm-hmm. That said, I wish Michael J. Fox had been in this movie, and so it's like, <laughs> oh, it's fine, whatever, but... That would, that, right. then that, those comparisons would have been, like, a hundredfold then, so maybe that sure. was the reason why. I also, uh, strangely enough, as much as I harp on how um, accurate to the comics it is in a way, I like all of the changes that they made. Yeah, I don't think there's any real dumb changes from yeah. it. I think it makes it, I mean, part of it being the years between issues, and uh, I think it was uh, like five or six different comic book companies published each, uh, like, the first two uh, stories were backups in a comic yeah. series from A, and then it went to another uh, comic book publisher in a backup, and then to another one, like... And years in between, so there's going to be some loss in story there no matter what, or, like, cohesiveness. But uh, the movie did a really good job of distilling it down to, oh, okay, this is what the character is, let's make him a little bit less of a dick, we're Disney, so we can't have her be taking uh, boudoir photography, but let's make her a little bit more of an actress. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, it's mentioned... Um, and then they brought the Nazis in, which like, I'm sure that would have shown up in the comics eventually. I believe the Nazis were mentioned, but they weren't as big a thing. Well, they weren't, they weren't a cent- they weren't like a, a villain. Uh, yeah. there wasn't a presence of Nazis or anything. There was yeah. no Nazi agent. Yeah. So, um, I think the way they did it, giving it a, a better villain, like, this is uh, one of the one time. This is one of the few times where I'm like, okay, you actually improved on the source material in a few mm-hmm. ways. So, did you? Uh, yeah, we should go a bit into the comics here uh, briefly. But did you reread his originals before the show? I know you were planning on it. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually went back and reread like essentially everything that's been published Rocketeer comics wise. There was like a quote-unquote comic series that was really just like rocketeer 
short stories that they released as comic book form, which why would you do that? Um, so I never read those because like I'm here for the I'm here for the pictures. I'm not here to read. <laughs> um, but uh, I did go back and reread everything. So uh, just for anyone who is maybe only familiar with the movie or has never really read anything on the character. So the Rocketeer Complete Adventures is the two Dave Stevens runs um, that are combined. Those have amazing artwork and are very fun. Um, you know, the first one is just him discovering the jetpack and getting embroiled with, you know, mobsters and shit. And then the second one is where he's in New York and um, getting embroiled in various shenanigans. And that's where Lothar shows up. And it's actually someone from his past when he was like in the circus. And so you're starting to learn some more about Cliff Secord and his past. I highly recommend that book. It's, you know, it's just those two bits. So you can get it on Amazon or something. It's 15, 20 bucks or something. It's not bad. But then about six, seven years ago, IDW, the comic um, comic book uh, publisher IDW, got the rights to do more Rocketeer stuff. And so they actually released uh, two collections of what are basically like really short, like vignettes. So I think each issue contained like three mini stories and then they, I don't know, it was like four issues for per book or something. But so there's Rocketeer Adventures 1 and Rocketeer Adventures 2 and they have tons of famous artists and writers working on them like Dave Gibbons from Watchmen is in there, Paul Dini's in there, Bruce, uh, Bruce Tim, right? That's his name. Mm -hmm. uh, the Batman guy. Uh, he's in there. Um... Uh, a bunch of other people. One of the are Chris Sprouse, who did Tom Strong stuff. Um, so he's sense. a good visual, uh, a good artist for Rocketeer. A lot of great artists, a lot of great writers in there. They're very fun adventures. I highly recommend uh, those as reads. And then they also did one called Cargo of Doom, and that one has the Rocketeer going up against dinosaurs. And the way they work that in is because of Skull Island from uh, uh. King Kong, because that had fucking dinosaurs on skull island and so they do a really fun bit on that and then there were a few other ones out there that people might enjoy like hollywood horror and um there was one called pulp friction where it's the rocketeer meeting up with will eisner's the spirit and that one should the hollywood horror is okay pulp friction is okay but it was so disappointing because i love the spirit and it would have it should have been so great and it started great, and whoever the artist was in the first book, first issue, was amazing. And then each new issue had a different artist, and each new issue, the art got worse. And I was like, why did you do oh. this? Just stay with the first person. They were amazing. Like, they were very comparable to Dave Stevens and, like, the meticulous nature and look of it. Anyway, if you are interested in Rocketeer stuff or checking it out, uh, much of that is, like, all of it I at least enjoyed at a base level. But the ones that I would highly recommend are Dave Stevens' original Rocketeer collection and then Rocketeer Adventures 1 and 2. They're real quick reads, those little vignettes, and then Cargo of Doom was a super fun story as well. So those are the ones I'd put out there. Cool. I will say uh, in the comic it's interesting. The um, So in the movie it's Howard Hughes who made yes. the Rocket Pack. In the comic... PB assumes it's Howard Hughes, but yes. it's heavily hinted at, and you see a guy wearing a mask who may or may not be Doc Savage. Um, but then in the New York adventure, 
he gets helped by the er uh, uh, the shadow, basically yeah. the shadow, um, and all the cut, all the uh, flashback scenes are uh, to the uh, circus are uh, visually just obviously a reference to freaks, mm-hmm. and I. I loved how well it did that, and you mentioned League of Extraordinary Gentlemen earlier. It just, it it did it it did it well in uh, the same kind of way that at the time they had to do. Like, the Green Hornet is the great grand nephew of the Lone Ranger. Yeah, but they can't say it because uh, they were owned by different radio companies. So uh, originally they were uh, same creator. So he would. Um, the Green Hornet would reference his great granduncle, who I, I that was one of the funniest, uh, like funnest things for me in the comic, and I just really liked how well he was able to do it in the, uh, and I liked how they took the one line of, um, "You're how you work for Howard Hughes, don't you?" and then just made that happen, and I yeah. liked Howard Hughes in this. I thought it was fun. Yeah. No, uh, yeah, they. Uh, I think Disney changed it to Howard Hughes just because they were worried of like getting sued by whoever owns Doc Savage. But, um, but yeah, in the comics, yeah, they do a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen thing where, if you've never read those comics, Alan Moore will explicitly call characters by name when they are outside of public or when they are in public domain, but if they are, um, like still owned by some entity he will give enough indications of who that like based on the artwork, based on references, based on visual cues within a panel. And then there'll be like oblique references where you're like, okay. So like Fu Manchu, for instance, is the villain in the first book or one of the villains in the first book, but he couldn't call him Fu Manchu because it was still like technically under, you know, ownership of someone. So he's just referred to as the doctor, but everything about him indicates this is Fu Manchu. James Bond is another one. They refer to the character as Jimmy. Um, and then later when he's old, it's Sir James. Um, but everything about him is, okay, this is clearly James Bond. And there's a lot of references to various Bond adventures. Um, and Dave Stevens was doing that shit here. And uh, I I don't think I picked up on it when I originally read it. I've read the first Doc Savage book and it's terrible. It's one of the worst pieces <laughs> of fiction I've ever read. But um, but there's a couple characters. Yeah. There's like a, a, a kind of stuffy dude. And then there's like a short, like kind of like, you know, bruiser type guy. And as I was rereading it this time, I was like, they're so distinctly drawn. Who are these supposed to be? And I started looking it up. And yeah, they're supposed to be part of, I think it's called the Fabulous Five, which are like Doc Savage's dudes who, if you watch Venture Brothers, they kind of played off of that with the with Venture's dad had those kind of guys. Um, but yeah, then Doc Savage shows up in like a flight suit. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's it, it it's the same thing Alan Moore did. It is those characters and it's drawn to match them how they're supposed to be. They just don't say it. And then when it gets to the New York adventure, yeah, it's the guy is drawn explicitly to resemble how the shadow looks on covers with like a large nose dark hair lean face and he's super rich and shit and i i wouldn't have caught this but i guess the name he gives is one of the shadows aliases like that he would use for like dead drops and shit so like they do these kind of like backdoor ways to include these characters um but yeah i i love that kind of stuff and it's done so well in the comics so can we just acknowledge that had this 
and the Shadow and the Phantom done well enough, we could have had a 30s pulp cinematic oh, universe. Give me, give me that. <laughs> give me that. I'll take that. Well, I mean, Dis- Disney owns this. He could be Rocketeer coming to an MCU near you. So they are bringing Miracle Man into the into the Marvel. Oh, Jesus We are Christ. not even going to touch how you feel about that, David, because that's a whole podcast in itself. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm just like appalled at like just a high pitched scream. Either they're going to fuck up Miracle Man, or or Miracle Man's going to fuck up Marvel, because there's that's that's only the only two things that can happen there. <laughs> but no, someday, no. someday, someday they'll finish that story, David. Someday we'll get those comics. <laughs> But, uh, um, Neil Gaiman, if you're listening to my podcast, please, please finish the comics. Uh, we know you're dedicated to doing it, so I don't want to like George R. R. Martin you here. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, but please, like, uh, we're we're all we're all anxiously waiting. Now, um, I I got nothing. Uh, okay, so uh, I'll just throw out some stray things. Um, just some like little notes that I think are worth touching on. Uh, so one thing is Neville Sinclair's house is called the Ennis House, which Nate's wife Rebecca pointed this out as we were watching. It is a Frank Lloyd Wright house. Oh. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then I was seeing on IMDb and learning a little bit more about it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a very stylized interior and uh, they shot it on location. And it's also was used in Blade Runner. I believe it is the house for, I think it's the house for like the guy who runs the robotics company, like Tyrell Corporation or whatever in Blade Runner, I think. Um, but it's, it's supposedly was seen in Blade Runner. Uh, a couple other things. Um, we mentioned that the movie was, they originally going to like do sequels, presumably like a trilogy, but that got canceled after the movie didn't do well enough. They also were going to do a toy line at the time. Um, they were going to have Rocketeer toys, and they're going to have, like, I think it was going to be kind of like how they later did the Batman Returns toys, where it was, like, Batman and different kinds of weird get-ups, even though it had nothing to do with the movie. I think they're going to have, like, different types of Rocketeers and, and whatever. And that got scrapped because the movie was not a success. Um and then uh, another little stray note, I just feel I must touch on it, is uh, I have always thought this one shot is so bizarre, and I don't know why uh, Joe Johnston has this in the movie, but Lothar, like, I think kills somebody in a hospital room, and he's trying to get information, and then he, like, flees out the window, and then, like, a cop comes in, and they're trying, and a nurse, and they're trying to figure out what happened. And he's you, you cut outside the hospital room, and Lothar is standing on a ledge, and then he just makes these little, like, baby steps away on the ledge with, like, this huge hulking dude. And it's like, is this supposed to be funny? Is this supposed to be, like, he's creepy and weird? It doesn't work well, whatever it is, and I don't know why it's there. Oh, man, that was okay. such a weird scene. Though, on the other hand, uh, when Lothar kills um... the gasoline guy, yeah, like, um, and folds him in half, I really like the way they did that. Like, you see his, you see his dead face with his feet next to it. They say he's folded in half, and you realize, oh, God. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I liked how they set up that was a horrific scene, but they shot it in a way where it it could pass by with a uh, with a Disney rating, and 
And when they go from the uh, hand, the note in his hand to the note yeah. in Lothar's hand, that was a great scene change. I like that. Um, ooh, Griffith Observatory. Yes, that, that makes an appearance. That place is beautiful. Uh, I was out visiting that way once and walked up the entire hill listening to the Rocketeer soundtrack. Ooh. And it was wonderful. And I got to the top, it was just like, Punch Nazis. <laughs> the <laughs> evil ones. I, yes, because I am a child. It was a... Uh, and that soundtrack, it, it just makes you feel good. It's a... it's. It's not as memorable as, say, a Williams score or anything like that, but it is standard. It felt John's Williams-ish. I mean, it, yeah. it, it had the same adventure feel, and I, I liked it. Yeah. Another little uh, 30s thing that they do is they have the Hollywood Land sign. Most people know it as the Hollywood <laughs> sign. Uh, that's what it is currently. But way, way back in the day, it was not actually for the region. It was for a housing development. It was just an advertisement of a development called Hollywood Land. Um, and the movie Hollywood Land with um, Ben Affleck refers back to that. But so, yeah, the sign used to have land on it. They eventually took that off. Uh, but in this film, when Neville Sinclair is defeated, he uh, he crashes and burns and destroys the land portion. And that's the, the movie is doing that of like, that's how it's now called Hollywood and not Hollywood land. And it's like, I love that kind of fun shit. And I love a lot of the things the Rocketeer is doing in here and things it's trying to do. Like I said, for me, it's just the action doesn't zip the way I want it to or th I think it should. And then the actor isn't there. And I think if the actor was there, I could like some of the action stuff might play better because it's the actor or you just might not care as much because you're just loving the guy. Right. But uh, those are the two big you know, hindrances for me. I, I loved how cheesy that moment was. I also loved how cheesy the moment was of uh, when the uh, gangsters found out that Neville Sinclair is a Nazi. They were like, Whoa! We don't work for Nazis, and then they turn on him, and there's a cute little look between um, uh, the buddy cop and mafia scene. Like, <laughs> yeah, <"Your> friend. <laughs> Where they were like, so we're on the same side. Yeah, fuck Nazis. I love that. It was. Litton, you came. You you brought some trivia to that. Yeah. So so when I was on, I I you know I check like Wikipedia, IMDb trivia, other places when I'm looking stuff up, and uh, and and this you know. I've, I've made the caveat before that, you know, IMDb, not everything necessarily is legit. But this sounded very convincing, so I think it's real. Some, you know, David, you may know evidence of it. But, yeah, apparently the mob in the 30s and 40s were pretty anti-Nazi, according to what I was reading, which, you know, I didn't know. Um, but according to what I was reading, it was saying that um, you had Jewish mob. Any Jewish mob members were obviously not going to be pro-Nazi. But the Italian um, mob members uh, or Sicilians, they were not big fans of Mussolini and then by extension Hitler because I guess Mussolini was going after Sicilians and parts of Sicily. And so they they were like, no, 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 we're, we're, not, with, we're not with them. And so I guess that uh, the American government, like the FBI and whatnot, utilized the mob kind of, you know, in a very backdoor type way that the mob would help find Nazi infiltrators, Nazi spies, because they have their ear to the ground of all kinds of underworld shit. And so that Nazis or that the mob was actually helping 
root out that kind of shit. And it's like, that's cool. Give me a movie about that. Yeah, hell I yeah. See that. Hell yeah. That would be fun. That would be a good movie. That start right. Start writing, Linton. Start writing. <laughs> All right. Any other stray notes we want to throw out there on the Rocketeer before we wrap up? They'll love it. That's all right. I love the comics. I love what it could be. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I, I didn't like. I, I know I've been tearing it apart, but that's kind of my fun. I, I have fun with it that way. I, I give it a solid three out of five, like you were saying. It, it's not a terrible movie. It's not a great movie. There are a lot. Some changes if made could have been a really good fun movie, but I, I, I mean, it's still it's still good enough. Uh, okay, a couple other stray notes, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap up here. So, um, so for as far as follow ups go for this, there actually is some movement on doing more with the Rocketeer. Disney still has the rights for uh, like film rights and whatnot, and then like I said, IDW did comics for a while, and then that's died down. I don't know if they will launch those again at any point in the future. If if a movie gets underway, I'm sure there will be some more Rocketeer based stuff. Um, and, I, and I did actually see on a comic site recently, I guess they did do a comic book adaptation of the movie version. Mm-hmm. So uh, that came out at the time. I, I never knew about that one. So it's like the same story. And Dave Stevens didn't do it, I don't believe. But um, no, he that's didn't. out there. I've yes. got it. He didn't. Okay. It's but that's no, out there, too. Is, I mean, is it well done? Is it well told and everything? Uh, it's it's an adaptation of a movie. It's okay. Sure. Yeah. It's just, they did, um, Disney also has the, uh, they, uh, a couple years ago, they did a kid's show of the Rocketeer. Yes, I was gonna, yeah, I was leading into that. So they, uh, they have a TV series that is, uh, that was originally on Disney Junior. It's now on Disney Plus, and that focuses on the great-granddaughter of the Rocketeer. And so it is a little girl, and it's very, the, the show, I watched just a little bit of it because I was trying to find a portion. You know, it's, it's very, it's, it's an animated thing. Um, like CGI animated thing. It's it's very kid-oriented. I mean, little kids, I'm sure, could, like, enjoy it. But they did bring back Billy Campbell, um, and oh. I was just, like, skimming through it because, like, so they brought back Billy Campbell, and I guess so he he plays and voices the Rocketeer in, in like, a, a short newsreel clip from, you know, the 40s of, like, the Rocketeer at war, huh, boys out there on the front lines? Like, they do a little clip like that, but then he also plays the girl's father and he essentially looks exactly like he did as the rocketeer and so he's like then would be the grandson of the rocketeer and it's like the idea that the the mantle has been passed down and for some reason they're going to pass it down to this eight-year-old girl now that she's she's old enough i you know i don't know but that um, seems dangerous i i agree um <laughs> i mean i think I think, you know, if you watch this movie and look at the comics, like, just based on how the jetpack operates, like, I don't know how he doesn't just light his ass on fire every single time. It's just flames straight out the back all the time. This goes he, in this he weird... He breaks his ribs constantly. <laughs> this goes into the weird cartoons that have been coming out lately where they made a Jurassic Park kids cartoon where they're going yes. to camp Cretaceous. And they're getting, like, really, like, they're in mortal danger from serious crap. And it's like, really? We're, we're, we're making these kids movies. All right, man. Same, uh, with, same with Ghostbusters Afterlife, which I greatly enjoyed. But uh, you do Ooh. have kids walking around with uh, nuclear accelerators on their back. And as uh, Egon Spengler said in uh, one of the Ghostbusters movies, first or second, uh, 
the the proton pack is not a toy um, but they're they are leaning heavy into this. David, I am not going to debate Ghostbusters Afterlife oh, I with you right I, now. I, I wasn't going to go into it. Thank, God, than... Ryan, thank God Ryan's not here for that. Ryan, Ryan <laughs> was, uh, Ryan, I think, is more positive on it than David was. It, yeah. <laughs> I mean, our kids' movies had, like, okay, five minutes in, and you watch Littlefoot's parents die. Sure. Like, That's fair. Uh, our, ours tore... Maybe the ones now are more dangerous, but the ones we, <laughs> the ones we grew up with were just oh, oh Go- goonies. They're in, you know, they're 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 trying to murder. I guess Home Alone, even I guess, you know, maybe I'm yeah. I'm looking at this and forgetting what we were watching as kids. Too, yeah, so. you're old and a parent now. That's what's happened. You're just it, old, Debbie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so, um, all right, so we have uh, The Rocketeer is, like I said, an animated series that you can watch on uh, Disney+. Plus. But there is also a planned new Rocketeer property on the way, and I believe it is supposed to be coming to Disney+. Plus. David is perking up because it sounds like he didn't know of this. I, I did not know. I think David is going to get much more interested as I, as I tell him what this is. So, uh, yeah, I think they were looking at possibly, I think originally they were going to do like kind of a, a a sequel, like set in the same world. They'd probably like have Billy Campbell come back, but it's somebody else, you know, sort of like one of those, you know, legacy things, but he's not a big enough actor. So he'd probably have like a minor cameo or some shit. Maybe that'll still happen. But I think originally that was like maybe where it was going to go. It would pick up 15, 20 years later, whatever. But I think that has morphed now into a similar thing, but with a much more precise direction. So the return of the Rocketeer is, uh, and I do not know how to pronounce this guy's name, but it is David Oyelowo, the guy who played Martin Luther King in Selma. I think it's his production company. I don't know that he's actually going to play the character or not, but the focus of it is it's going to focus on a former Tuskegee Airman who is getting the the jetpack and now is becoming the rocketeer so i think it's going to be like late 40s or early 50s setting and uh then you're going to have like you know you're going to have a representation angle to it which people online will fucking lose their mind about like my rocketeer's white and all that kind of bullshit but uh no i think it's a cool angle to take it with i think it's you can work in some interesting history with it and take the series to a different place still do that kind of fun indiana jones type vibe you can bring in it's disney but you can bring in some like kind of light racial commentary and things like that of the of the era um there's a lot of stuff you can do with it and uh i i think that's interesting i want to see where they go with that Mm And then the last note I have, this is not anything that's in the works that I'm aware of, but this was just a note I put down. Give me a Rocketeer video game. Why does this not exist? <laughs> it makes so much sense. Just have them zipping around and beating up Nazis and monsters and shit. It's so obvious. Just do it. Yeah, I felt to me, I felt like there was one, but it might be one of those things where you remember that there was something that never existed. Oh, there might have been something for, like, Sega Genesis, but I mean, like, a modern video game, like, you know, like the Arkham games and that kind of thing. I mean, not that the Rocketeer is a huge property, but Super something Nintendo. where you are playing as Rocketeer and you're, like, going around on missions and you're fighting in the war or whatever. Like, there's so much you can do with it. Super Nintendo yeah. had it. So, yeah, interesting. 
All right. So wrapping up here, would you recommend The Rocketeer? I I have recommended. I will continue to recommend. I will always recommend The Rocketeer. It's fun. I mean, I, 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 I would say, like, I, it wouldn't be at my top. I, I would be like, hey, you got to see this movie. But I would, I, you know, if people are like, you know, what can I watch? What, what sort of old-style superhero movie can I watch where the actor is kind of boring? I'll be like, you know, The Rocketeer fits those, fits those ones. <laughs> but, I mean, if you I, like Billy Zane and The Phantom, have I got a film for you? I mean, it this is, is all along better the than The Phantom. <laughs> it probably is. It probably is. Uh, yeah, so for The Rocketeer, I mean, I know, obviously, I had my critiques uh, that open of, of what holds it back for me, um, but I, I would recommend it. I mean, I, I really like the comics. I think there's a lot you can do with the character. I think, um, you know, it has that Indiana Jones vibe, that pulpy vibe, but it's not, and even though Dave Stevens worked on Indiana Jones and clearly he was like, oh, I could make my own Indiana Jones. It is a distinct character from Indiana Jones. He didn't just one-to-one it. He's not just ripping it off. You can do different stuff with the Rocketeer. Um, and, you know, again, it's unfortunate that he was unable to, either based on his, like, kind of work habits and then later when he got sick, you know, to do more with it under his, you know, guidance. That's unfortunate. But still, as a character, there have been really fun stuff in the comics. As I said, you could do video games with it. I hope the Disney stuff goes well and that they can take it somewhere neat. It's just a great starting point. I mean, like we said several points during this you know, podcast, like everybody wants a fucking jetpack. That's been the future that's been promised to us, you know, forever kind of thing. And, you know, it's just that you love that idea, especially if you're into sci-fi fantasy type stuff. And then a lot of people are really drawn to the, the retro aspect, the pulpy aspect. And so you have like, you have that like kind of future aspect of like, a jetpack man but then you have this throwback aspect so it's a good mesh um so yeah for the film i would recommend it i think there's a lot of fun stuff in it um it's a good watch you know with kids i would say especially like littler kids would probably like not have as many critiques and would just be kind of like oh cool guys zipping around also like um, of the three of us yeah yeah and so it's uh yeah, I mean, I think it's worth watching, and you might be like David and just embrace it whole cloth, and I wouldn't blame you. Like I said, I love the comics. It's just there's some hang-ups I have with it of where I see how it could be better, and I just, you know, wish it was. But still recommendation, still worth checking out if you've never seen The Rocketeer. And can I find this? Uh, our last little section here. The Rocketeer is widely available to watch, so it is obviously on Disney+. Plus. So if you have that, it's ready to go. But it is also on Apple TV, Google Play, Amazon, YouTube, Vudu, Redbox, DirecTV, and many others. And then it has been released on DVD and Blu-ray. So you will be able to watch The Rocketeer at your convenience. All right, so that wraps us up for this episode. We will be back next time, and we will be looking at I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. That was a recommendation from uh, one of our regulars, Jess. And uh, that's a that's a Netflix film, and it's uh, kind of like a quirky black comedy crime film. Um, so we recorded that one, I don't know, a couple months back or something at this point, um, but it is coming up in the rotation next. So we'll be looking at that one, and then following that one, we will be on to the Star Wars Holiday Special, 
because this is the 45th anniversary of the release of the original Star Wars this May. So we will be releasing our episode on the Star Wars holiday special like the week leading into that anniversary. So that one will be hitting next uh, following I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. So stay tuned for those and many more in the future. We'll see you then.